0: Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor David Platt of McLean Bible Church. Today's topic is, How Can You Keep on Rejoicing in Suffering? I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor David.
1: I want us to start today by reading 1 Peter chapter 1 together. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Let's say it out loud together. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited by your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world and was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified yourselves by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart Oh, praise God for his word. It's so good and it is so relevant. I wanna show you how. So, I think it's clear. Even if you just heard 1 Peter 1 for the first time, from the start of this letter, Peter is writing to Christians in churches spread throughout various regions who are experiencing suffering. So you go back to verse six and Peter said, how they are being grieved, did you catch the language, by various trials. And their faith is being tested, like gold being tested by fire. So it's not surprising then, for us to get to our text today, so starting in 1 Peter chapter four, verse 12, and we hear Peter say, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's almost the exact same language that Peter started the letter with. Then listen to what he says next, verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That's the same language we just read back in chapter one. Verse six, in this you, rejoice you hear that language rejoice with joy that's inexpressible so now in chapter 4 verse 12 he says it again rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad so the question I want to answer today is how is that possible how can you keep on rejoicing in the middle of suffering I think that is an extremely relevant question for our lives because I know every single person within the sound of my voice right now is either suffering right now, you have suffered, or you will suffer. I think about Phil and Larissa Wynn at our Loudoun location who unexpectedly lost their two-year-old this week. I think about Ben Fairfax, my friend and brother here at Tyson's who was feeling fine a month ago till he had a CT scan that revealed inoperable cancer, and now he's fighting for his life. To others who are struggling in marriage, others who have suffered financially as your savings have been depleted, you're struggling from paycheck to paycheck, or maybe that business you poured so much of your life into is struggling to survive. I think about NBC missionaries who join us every week online walking through all kinds of struggles separated from family and comfort, living as outsiders in another culture. I could go on and on, and in every story the question is the same. How do you keep on rejoicing in the middle of hard days? And one of my jobs as a pastor is to prepare you for hard days. I was reading an article this last week from Tim Chalice. He's a friend whose 20-year-old son suddenly collapsed and died about a month ago. And Tim described how agonizing this last month has been emotionally, but not theologically. And here's what I mean by that. Actually, here's what he meant by that. He was writing about how, by God's grace, he and his family were ready. They had been trained by God's Word in sound doctrine. He said, in the moment we heard that news, we knew the character of God, we knew the promises of God, and we knew where we stood with God. And unbeknownst to us, he said, we had been preparing ourselves with truths that were ready to be called upon and relied upon in that moment of need. He said, there's no way we could have prepared ourselves for the emotional agony of losing a child, but we did prepare ourselves theologically. During these days, we have not had to ask the big questions about whether God is good, or whether something can happen outside of God's control, or whether God is punishing us, or whether there is really a heaven or hell. Those issues were considered, discussed, and decided long ago. We had established in our minds and hearts the truths that would interpret our experience. And this is one of my primary prayers for you. I want you, right where you're sitting, to be ready when the day of suffering comes. Or when the days of suffering continue. I want you to know the character of God and the promises of God. I want you to know where you stand with God. I want you to be prepared with truths that are ready to be called upon and relied upon in that moment. And then I haven't even gotten to the specific type of suffering that Peter is addressing in this letter and that's suffering for being a Christian. So Peter's writing to people who because of their faith were being denied jobs and economic opportunities. They were experiencing social isolation because of their faith. Some of them experiencing active persecution that would lead to their imprisonment and death, including Peter himself, who would be killed for following Jesus. And it's interesting, I read a Bible commentator this week who was talking about how most Christians in the West, particularly in the United States, don't know this kind of suffering. Certainly not to the level that first century Christians knew it, She said, and I quote, modern Western society has for many centuries been so largely shaped by the Judeo-Christian ethic that acceptable values of Christians and of unbelievers have not necessarily conflicted so sharply. Therefore, Western Christians may not be able to relate to the theme of suffering for Christ in 1 Peter, since most have not lived in a social, social situation similar to the original readers. And I read that. And then I thought about the direction that our culture and our country is going in. How biblical views of marriage and sexuality have become increasingly countercultural, even offensive. And I don't think we are f- very far off from the time when many of your jobs will be threatened as long as you profess biblical faith. In some senses, we're already there. In other ways, it's coming more and more where advancement in a company or an organization or the government will not come if you believe what the Bible says about gender, where you will be asked, if not forced, to teach or promote that which is contrary to your faith. And you will face a choice of whether to keep your job or to keep your faith. And I want to prepare you on that day to lose your job, not your faith. I want to prepare you to lose your house, your car, your reputation, but never your faith. And then beyond this country, I think about brothers and sisters I mentioned from NBC who are serving as missionaries around the world. I want to prepare many more to go to other countries where you may lose your life for professing your faith. Last week we talked about the type of Christianity we're passing down to the next generation. I want us to raise up a generation in the church whose aim in life is not ultimately to go to a great school, get a great degree, have a great job with a great spouse and a great house. No, whose ultimate aim is to accomplish a great commission that may cost them everything. So on all of these levels, whether it's simply pain or suffering in this world or persecution that comes from following Jesus, I want to prepare you well My prayer coming into these few moments today has been, God, please take your word today by your spirit and comfort people in suffering, prepare people for suffering, and save people from eternal suffering. So I wanna show you God's answer to this question, how how can you keep on rejoicing in the middle of suffering? And the answer is found in three truths from 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, that I wanna give you and I wanna call you to believe them with all your heart and be ready to recall them when that moment comes so here's the first one one how can you keep on rejoicing in the middle of suffering believe that god is working and suffering is not the end so let me actually read this whole passage to you, First Peter 4, 12 through 19, and pay particularly close attention to the first verse and the last verse, kind of bookends on this passage. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed Therefore, let those who suffer, so this is the last verse, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So do you hear the, the first verse, the last verse? First verse, beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be surprised shocked at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. So the Bible is addressing here what we all feel when we face suffering that we didn't see coming. Everything is going well until this or that happened and all of a sudden everything feels like it's out of control and up for question. It's like we believe that God is good and kind and loving and completely in control as long as our circumstances are smooth But as soon as those circumstances change, we wonder, is God good? Is God kind? Is God loving? Is God in control? And the Bible is teaching here that even when our circumstances change, God is the same. He is still good, He is still kind, He is still loving, and He is absolutely, ultimately in control which is what the last verse says here. Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now that phrase, according to God's will, likely means a couple of things. One, this is differentiating from the kind of suffering that comes from disobeying God's will. So in this passage, Peter is drawing a distinction between suffering for doing good and suffering for doing evil, like murdering or stealing or meddling in others' business. So sometimes you and I experience suffering, hardship, pain, hurt, on all kinds of levels because of our sin, because of our disobedience to God. But that's not the kind of suffering Peter's talking about here. He's talking about suffering according to God's will while doing good. So think about the kinds of suffering that this included in the first century when Peter wrote this. We've seen this already. that Christians for doing good and following Jesus were being abused, insulted, reviled, ostracized, persecuted, even killed. So does that mean that God is somehow the author of abuse? Or the author of persecution? Absolutely not. These things are clearly a result of sin and evil in this world and they affect even God's people who are doing good. But that's part of the point of the passage. In a world of sin and evil and abuse and pain and suffering, God's people are not immune to these things. As soon as you become a Christian, you don't have a shield around you that keeps you from suffering. If anything, you're now more susceptible to suffering because in addition to normal suffering in a fallen world, you may now suffer for following Jesus. So don't be surprised, the Bible says, at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, as though something strange were happening to you. When all of God's people throughout the history of this sinful world have experienced the same thing. And how did they get through it? They believed that God was working and their suffering was not the end. Think about it, through years of infertility, Abraham believed that God was working and his wife's barrenness was not the end. And eventually, when he was about 100 years old, he had a son named Isaac job lost all that he had possessions destroyed all of his children died in an instant boils all over his body as his wife tells him to curse god and die yet he held on to belief that god was working and he discovered that his suffering was not the end Joseph in a dungeon for 12 years, believed that God was working, this was not the end. Same for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace. Daniel in a den of lions, they believed God was working, their suffering was not the end. Ruth working in a field, David fleeing for his life, Hosea with an unfaithful wife, over and over again. This is the story of people in the Bible, people who in their suffering believed that God was working and suffering was not the end. You say, well what about those who suffered and died? Wasn't that the end for them? What about the list of people in Hebrews chapter 11 who like Stephen were stoned to death or sawn in two or killed with a sword? Or what about Peter himself who ended up being crucified? Wasn't suffering the end for him? Oh no, not at all. Just look to the center of the Bible. Jesus the Son of God, and it's right here in this passage, verse 13. Rejoice insofar as you share in sufferings with and for Christ, with and for Jesus, because he was mocked and beaten and scourged and spit upon, nailed to a cross to die, all according to God's will. First Peter chapter four, verse 19. Get it, Even in the most evil moment in all of history, the murder of Jesus in the flesh, even in that moment, God was working and Jesus' suffering was not the end. Three days later, he rose from the grave. He now ascended into heaven, where he is exalted at the right hand of God, and he is bringing everyone who trusts in him to glory with him. So, brother or sister, believe this. Rejoice in this. Even in your suffering, you can know the good, kind, loving God of the universe Creator of your life is working, and your suffering will not be the end of your story. Hide this truth in your heart, and recall it and rely on it in tough days. Believe that God is working, and suffering is not the end. So here's the second one to stand on when suffering comes. So one, believe that God is working, suffering is not the end. Two, believe that God is with you and his love for you knows no end. So I wanna show you this, God's presence with you and his love for you in two places. One in verse 13, one in verse 14. So first, verse 13, which we've already read, Peter references how we share Christ's sufferings. And I don't wanna move past that phrase without fully realizing the wonder of these words, Christ's sufferings. Because this, in so many ways, summarizes the entire meaning of Christmas. And if you're not a Christian, please listen really closely here. If you are a Christian, I pray that you will feel this in a fresh way today. To all of us in a world that's full of sorrow and pain and hurt and suffering, Christmas is a reminder that God has not left us alone in this world. Christmas is an announcement that God has come to us in the person of Jesus. God has put on a robe of human flesh. He was born as a baby and ultimately, yes, he was born to die on a cross for our sins to rise from the dead so that every sinner who trusts in him can be forgiven of all their sins and enjoy eternal life with him. But there's more here, so don't miss it. In the very fact that Jesus has come to us and lived among us, we realize that for all who trust in Jesus, he not only saves you from your sin, but he sympathizes with you in your suffering. In other words, you have a Savior who knows how you feel. Are you hurting? Jesus knows what it's like to hurt. Have you been reviled or abused? Jesus knows what it is to be reviled and abused. Do you feel alone, disappointed, betrayed? Jesus knows what it is to feel all of those things. I've used the illustration before, what the Oxford Companion to Music calls sympathetic resonance. If there were two pianos on this stage, I could play middle C on one of them, and the same note, that anybody doing anything over there, the same note on that piano would gently respond, make the same noise that this piano is making. It's called sympathetic resonance. And when I think about that in a much greater way, I think about the hurts in your heart, in my heart, amidst sorrow in this world. When a note of sorrow hits our hearts, know this, that note resonates in his heart. When you walk through suffering, you have a savior who knows what it's like to hurt as you're hurting. He loves you so much and he lives to intercede for you and provide for all that you need in that moment. Which leads to verse 14 that takes us to a whole other level as the Bible says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Now stop there, just follow the flow of this verse. If you're insulted, derided, abused, persecuted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Oh, you've got to see this. Do You want to know how much God loves all those who trust in Jesus, who have entered into relationship with him? Not only does Jesus resonate with you when you suffer, but he loves you so much that he covers you with his spirit in your suffering. The picture here of the spirit of glory resting upon you is like the cloud of God's glory resting on his people in the Old Testament as they wandered from place to place in the wilderness. So God's spirit rests on you as you walk through the wilderness of suffering. I believe this, you are not, you're never alone in the wilderness of suffering. You will never be alone no matter what that wilderness may hold. The spirit is in you, on you. The spirit of glory and of God. You ever wonder, Like, if this or that happens in my life, will I be able to stand? You wonder, what if I lose my child, or my spouse, or my parent, could I stand? What if, what if I were to face that diagnosis? What if I were to face persecution, could I stand? God is promising in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. God is promising you that when you get that call, when you get that diagnosis, when you face that persecution, the Holy Spirit of glory will be resting upon you and He will help you suffer. Even down to the moment when you breathe your last breath and your heart stops beating, The Holy Spirit of God will be resting upon you. He will help you die and he will bring you to glory. Mark it down, brothers and sisters. In times of greatest suffering on earth, you will experience greatest support from heaven. How can you keep on rejoicing in the middle of suffering? Believe that God is with you and his love for you knows no end. And finally, third truth, Stand on in suffering. Believe that God is worthy and that you can trust him to the end. So verse 15 says, let none of you suffer for sin and evil. And then verse 16 says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, as you follow Christ, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And this is where I want to make the connection to what we saw just a few months ago in Philippians chapter three and four talking about contentment and joy in suffering. I don't know if you remember, but I'll pull it up here. We talked about how Paul, when he's writing Philippians chapter three, listed out all kinds of things in this world that are good, family heritage, social status, religious devotion, a moral lifestyle, and on and on. He starts talking about all these good things and then he labels them lost. Rubbish is the word he uses. Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. He said all these best things in the world cannot compare with the gain of knowing Jesus. Even suffering with him and eventually experiencing glory with him. Then we talked about how suffering at the core is when these good things are taken away from us in this world. And right? when people we love, family, friends, when our health is taken away, when our job is taken away, when our reputation is taken away, when relationships, stability, so many good things we could list here. But we talked about how when you have already put all those things in a column under loss, and you have put Jesus alone in a column under gain, then when good things like these are taken away from you, it's not easy. It's definitely not easy. The sadness is right and deep and the pain is real and the tears are many. But when Jesus is your life, then suffering, the taking away of these things ultimately drives you more to who? To him, to Jesus. And the whole point of Philippians chapter three and four was that he is better that he's better than all the best people and things in this world put together. He is worthy of all your trust. He is the source of ultimate eternal joy and this is critical then to keeping joy in suffering. It's critical to remember that Jesus is supremely better than all the best things this world offers you put together. And you can trust him all the way to the end. You think about it, there's coming a day when all these good things will be taken away from you and me. Family, possessions, job, health, our very breath, it'll all be gone. And if you don't have Jesus on that day, you will have nothing. You'll have nothing but eternal punishment as the consequence of your sin before God, according to 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18. But for all who have trusted in Jesus, who have found in him the source of eternal joy, on that day you lose everything in this world, you will gain the imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance of Jesus in the world to come. On that day you will have God in all of his glory and his goodness for all of eternity. So how do you keep on rejoicing and suffering? By believing that God is worthy and you can trust him all the way to the end. So I guess that's the question that we must all ultimately answer then. Do we believe that God is worthy of our trust?
0: Like the voice of one crying in the wilderness, makes straight the way of the Lord. Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries is looking for those who will partner with us in this ministry of making a path straight for the Lord directly to the hearts of listeners. If you would like to partner with us to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and deliver the saving grace of our Lord to others through volunteering, through prayer, and through donations, please call us at 602 602- Eight six six eight nine nine nine.